Thank you for downloading this sponsored podcast presented by PR Week. For more podcasts, visit us online at prweek.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another installment of our Changemakers Podcast Series. This is Gideon Fiddleside, Editorial Director, Custom at PR Week. Really, really excited to be here today because this is such an important topic, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I have a wonderful guest joining me today. It's Troy Blackwell, who's Press Director of the Peace Corps and who is a member of our Changemakers Advisory Council. Troy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be with you. Troy is just a tremendous young leader in this industry, and that's one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to him today, because our first two podcasts featured some amazing leaders who have been in the industry for a little while. Troy, as a younger leader, has a slightly different perspective on this topic, and I think it's going to be incredibly valuable to all of you who are listening out there today. And thank you all for doing that. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So, Troy, let's get started right here. And I'd be remiss if I actually didn't start right here. In past conversations, you've shared some reflections of difficulties you've personally encountered in the interview process for roles you have pursued. And if, if you've come across these things, I can imagine others who have even lesser impressive resumes than you do have probably encountered this as well. I want to give you the opportunity to discuss the issues that you've come across. And of course, I want to give you the opportunity to offer any counsel you have in these two ways. One, to the people conducting the interviews, and two both being interviewed and what they can do to improve the process. So Troy, the floor is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So what I will share about my experience is something particularly what I like to call very similar to the Rooney Rule, how an NFL team's folks are required to interview a candidate uh, of color for head coach jobs, but they may not necessarily receive those jobs. Um, And so I think about that in the context of the PR industry. There are a handful of uh, skilled communicators, people of color, um, who, you know, informally, you know, meet and we we text and we we share advice and just various different experiences. And what I found was pretty unique was that um, both during the pandemic and after the pandemic, when there was this huge hiring boom, particularly in the PR industry, that many of us, myself included, had got interviews. I applied to pretty much all of the big agencies, a lot of mid-sized agencies as well. Um, and I would I had maybe a dozen interviews, always made it to the second, third, uh, sometimes fourth round, right? Always got past three interviews, um, but was really having, you know, a hard time challenge locking in an opportunity. Um, And so it made me think a lot about this rule that, you know, I had this resume, Um, you know, as you noted, I am a young leader in this field, uh, but, you know, I've held director level positions. I've been on boards for for trade organizations. I had worked with uh, Vice President Harris before applying uh, to these agencies. I was in her orbit and on her team for about uh, three years in total, uh, from 2019 up until um, 2020, end of 2020 to 21. And I just had such a really hard time just getting that foot back into the agency door. And so I thought about that from the perspective if someone in my shoes, someone who has had the experience uh, to work with national leaders, someone who has been at the director level, someone um, you know who, who has went to an Ivy League school, if I'm having a hard time, I can only imagine the difficulties that others 
are having. And so many of us who informally, again, share advice and connect, we shared these experiences and I found it to be very common that there were uh, at least I can count on probably two hands the number of people that that I knew, people of color, who were at the director slash VP level, who were interviewing at agencies and had very similar experiences where they've gotten to the second and third round of interviews, but were never offered a job. So that really stood out to me as something, whether it's conscious or it's happening unconsciously, it's something that does need to be addressed. And I don't think folks have talked about it enough. And what I would say twofold for those who are conducting the interview and for those who are interviewing, the first for those conducting the interview, which I thought was actually interesting, given that this is also in the DEI context, is that when I was interviewing, I had sought for VP level positions. I interviewed for VP level positions at big agencies, mid-sized agencies. And the common thing also that I found is during that interview process, I was never asked about my my plans and my thoughts on DEI strategy. And a big part of being at the VP level is business development, right? You're responsible for bringing in a certain amount of income, usually to, to the agency. You're largely responsible for managing um, those client retainers. You're also responsible for growing the practice area in which your work you will be working in or would be working in. And I thought from that context, from a business development perspective, I was really shocked that out of maybe a dozen agencies, only one agency really asked me about a plan for a DEI and hiring needs, particularly in, in the practice areas that I was looking in. So that was really shocking to me. The second advice that I would give for those who are interviewing for jobs, those who are actively seeking, is being able to quantify your work, right? Being able to speak to the budgets you've managed, being able to speak to the number of outlets uh, you have relationships with, the numbers of stories you place. If you're more on the social media side, being able to speak to those analytics. I think particularly from the communications perspective, there's this common uh, gray cloud, which is how do we measure impact? How do we measure communications, right? And the beauty is that with all the tools that we have, you know, today, you know, Precision and, and Meltwater and, and various different tools, you can measure your open and click rate for your press releases. You can measure how many stories are getting placed. You can measure those analytics. Um, and so I think that's really, really crucial, particularly in this day and age, is that we need data to be able to back up our impact, both on the personal level, but also from the communications perspective to also speak. Once you get your foot in that door, you do need data to be able to provide to your clients to speak to the work that you're providing. Well, frankly, I really appreciated that, Troy, because you actually gave some great interview advice outside of this conversation on DE&I. Actually, that's just really good advice for anybody. But I really appreciate what you said also because, you know, I think a lot of times people really focus on the very, very entry level when they have these conversations. Obviously, the interviews that you're talking about were not the entry level. You are, you are, you are much higher up in, on, the, on the ladder there. And I think there's a lot of people who are maybe um, interviewing for that second or third job in their careers that are really, really struggling. And that's such a key point because that's the point where if you run into too many walls, no matter who you are, you might make the decision, you know what, maybe this isn't an industry for me. And that's why this is such an important part of the process. And I think people don't focus on the interview enough when they have this conversation. So that's why I really was excited to talk to you about this. And thank you for that wonderful counsel. But of course, Troy can speak about a lot more than just interviews. And 
He's about to prove it, or I'm going to give him the chance to prove it anyway. Another issue that continues to be troubling is the lack of opportunity for diverse professionals to advance within organizations. And, you know, one of the things you always hear about is um, people like me. And the fact that people, you know, don't have those people, the very senior levels to aspire to be like or to get to that level. And, you know, I just want to um, talk to you a little bit about that, because I think this really speaks to the retention problem in the industry. People of color, very talented people of color get really frustrated because they're like, there's a ceiling and I'll never be able to crack it. And why would they think differently when they don't see anybody there who has cracked it? So like, I'd like for you to speak a little bit about that, you know, from your personal perspective, because you haven't reached the very top of the industry yet. I'm sure you will, but also from people at the, at the lower levels and, and what, you know, give them some inspiration or a dose of reality in terms of what they should feel about this situation. Yeah. So I think of it, even when you think about, DEI in, in, in that context, right? Like diversity is the recruitment aspect. It's, it's bringing those folks into, into the agency. The inclusion part is the retention. And I think of it threefold. Mm-hmm. I think the first is that there's a, a large, broad conversation about DEI and what that looks like. But I like to think of uh, DEI in level. So there's like DEI 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, right? And Diversity 1.0 is the diversity we can see. So when folks go to your agency website and they look at leadership, and if you look at your staff and leadership on your website and you don't see a diverse talent pool, you don't necessarily see diverse leadership, you may not necessarily see enough women or you may not see enough people of color, sometimes there are agencies that I have viewed that just don't have that at all. And I'm really shocked by that because... These are some of the um, same agencies that are saying that they prioritize DEI. This is, you know, there's a priority for them. They're taking it seriously. But then you go to the website and there's no images of the diversity represented at, at, at that agency. I think that's the first barrier, right, of, well, mm-hmm. I'm looking here. I don't see anyone that, that looks like me. Maybe this isn't an agency for me. That's the first barrier. The second Mm -hmm. barrier is once you get into the agency, the culture that is there and having mentors, right? I'm a big proponent that you can have mentors of all backgrounds. I have mentors who are similar to me. I also have mentors who are not similar to me. But it's really important to have someone who has a similar life experience as you that can help navigate just general day-to-day issues, that can help, you know, teach you how to advocate for yourself professionally. And if you don't have anyone at that mid to senior level in the agency, it's really hard, even if you have a pipeline to bring entry-level people in, Say you, you know, you can bring in a number of account coordinators or account executives, but if they don't see anyone as an account director or a VP or higher, that also stalls their, you know, this ability of seeing what they can be or how they can grow at that particular agency. Something that also comes up about retention is pay equity, right? Very similar, mm-hmm. how I mentioned there are informal groups. There are 
a number of informal groups of various different communicators who share pay scale. Like this is how much you can make at this particular position um, at an agency. And folks have been sharing it for, for a while. There are many folks who are particularly at agencies who have shared their pay internally and formally with each other. And they have even identified some discrepancies in pay for the same you know, amount of work and same amount of skill. Right. And so I think that's also a mm-hmm. very big concern for people is not only is there this barrier to get into the to the agency, but once you're into the agency, there's a lack of mentorship. Not every agency has this problem, but but some do. There could also be potential around uh, pay equity and, and discrepancies there. And so it creates this culture where you feel you're operating in an environment where either you feel that you're not wanted or you feel that you're an imposter. Right. Mm. And so for myself, I've been in environments where sometimes you do have imposter syndrome and you're thinking to yourself, you know, is this the right fit for me? Am I the right person to do this work at this particular time? And it's really important to have a strong network, have folks who can validate you in that context. And I know I was fortunate enough that I did that I felt, you know, you know, when I were when I was in particular environments where I may have had imposter syndrome, it was really important to tell myself, you're here because you worked hard, you deserve to be here, but also just learning how to advocate for myself, which is why I'm a big advocate for employee resource groups, right? Because when folks come together as a collective and you have a group of people saying, This is my shared experience, this is a problem we identified and collectively, here are some solutions that we would like to propose, you're in a better position, right? And I always compare Mm -hmm. employee resource groups to pencils, right? If you have one pencil, it's easier (laughs) to break that one pencil. If you have 10 pencils or 20 pencils, it's a little harder to break that group. And that's how I view the importance of employee resource groups, because if one person and only one person is saying, hey, this is a problem, this is an issue, it looks like that pr- person is being problematic, but when a collective is saying they have a shared experience, it's a lot harder to ignore. Wow, that's really excellent counsel, Troy. And uh, first of all, um, I'd like to let me know, we don't have to do this on this recording, but where did you find 20 pencils? Because I can't find any pencils right now. It's very difficult <laughs> to find them, but that's besides the point. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Um, but, you know, actually, really, again, some really terrific counsel and advocating for yourself. I mean. I sense that that is actually an issue that all younger professionals probably have. And some of the advice that Troy gave in the first segment of this podcast about the data and proving what you've done, it's all very provable. And that's a really, really great way to advocate for yourself. And it's honestly, it's, it's very, very, nothing bragging about it. There's nothing egotistical about it. The numbers will tell the story for you. Just like you need numbers to tell the story of the effectiveness of any campaign you're working on, you could use numbers to tell the story of your effectiveness as a communicator. So this is all really, again, great counsel for everybody, obviously very specific to Dean and I though, and I appreciate that. And, you know, talked about culture a little bit. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit more because culture is one of those, cu- culture is one of those factors that is so important in any business, but it's kind of hard to put your finger on exactly what it is, what controls it, what it means. And so speaking as a younger leader and a younger professional, really love your take on what are younger PR professionals, whether they're millennials or Gen Zers, 
expecting from the brands and companies that they work for or will potentially work for in terms of their culture? I know you touched on it a little bit, but I want to get a little bit of a broader sense because, again, one of the things you said that really resonated with me is that a lot of younger professionals of color don't necessarily feel comfortable where they are. They're not, they don't feel quite as welcome there. They feel like imposters. That's a very powerful word in this context. So what are they, what are millennials and Gen Zers looking for in the culture of the places that either employ them or might employ them that would tell them, you know what, this really could be a place that works out for me? Yeah, I think when it comes to the millennial and Gen Z perspective, I really think um, particularly the generation is looking for both brands and the companies, in this case, PR companies that support them, for those who are taking a stand particularly on issues, right? We saw Mm -hmm. particularly in the last couple of years with, with the rise of social issues, with the Women's March of Black Lives Matter, you know, definitely um, a sense of urgency after the murder of George Floyd, particularly the younger generation were holding to account the brands that they purchase. Folks want to know that the dollar that they're spending, the brands they're putting their money to and uplifting and, and are helping build essentially as, as customers are brands that are taking a stand on on moral issues that have a moral compass, that are, are speaking out equitably across the landscape for people. And I think it doesn't change with PR agencies, right? Our job as practitioners is to help tell the story of those companies. It's how it's to help build, you know, build build them up and 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 help with their narrative and thought leadership. And so it comes into play that for us, how do you represent you know, diverse brands or how do you represent brands that are taking a stand on issues and then the agencies that also represent them don't? I think, for example, we can talk about you know, the aftermath of George Floyd. There was huge callings. Everyone made commitment statements about um, what they expected or anticipated that they would do in terms of increasing, you know, diverse leadership. People talked about diversifying boards. People talked, talked, mm-hmm. you know, a, a long game about so much that they've done. Okay, so now we're two and a half years later. You know, going into 2023 will be three years later, and that needle still hasn't really moved, right? And so that's something that young people are looking at is that. Two, two and a half years ago, I saw these big agencies making these commitment statements saying that they were going to put money to, you know, diversifying their field, that they were going to diversify their boards, that we were going to see more changes in leadership. We were also going to see changes in the work. And we really didn't see that. It kind of seems like the statements have fell flat, so to speak. There really hasn't been much follow-up or follow-through. Um and so I, I think that in itself uh, speaks to where we are specifically for those companies that are representing these brands. Mm-hmm. I want to close this out with another thing that you and I talked about before this conversation that you'd mentioned to me that I thought was interesting. You'd noticed over the past couple of years that more agencies are developing practice areas for DEI and social impact. And that sounds promising and it is a sign of intent for sure. But there are still key matters lacking in all of this that you have found. I'd like to give you the floor to discuss this. What is lacking? <laughs> yeah, that that is something that's a little bit of a sweet spot for me because I'm someone my my 
entire adult life, my, my career has always been in social impact, whether it's on the agency side or in-house. And for me, I've noticed that trend and it goes with the aforementioned question that you had, particularly about what mm-hmm. millennials and Gen Z are expecting from brands and the companies that represent them. I do think over the last three to four years, I will say, definitely with the rise in conversations around climate change, with the rise in pressure around DEI, a lot of the commitment statements that were made after um, the murder of George Floyd, a lot of agencies have opened up social impact practices, right, or social good practices, so to speak. Um, And these are very similar. These are practice areas that I applied um, to at the VP level, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation. And Mm -hmm. the one thing that I noticed, Mm -hmm. again, it's multi-layered here, but the first is that within these social impact practices, there tends to be a specialized area, particularly around DEI. So you will have practitioners in those fields, in those agencies, counseling clients on DEI. But again, something that I noticed, particularly in my experience, is that one, as someone who's gone to the final stages of that interview process, I was never asked anything about my DEI strategy or DEI plans, um, about any of the skill set necessarily to build that out, right? So that also seemed like a little bit of a gap to me. The second that I've noticed is that, for example, if these DEI specializations and these social impact practices are counseling clients on what they can do to get it right, how does that function when the same practice areas are lacking in the in what they are telling mm. their clients to do, right? A lot of these social impact practice areas that I've seen that have popped up over the last two to three years, many of them don't have people of color. Many of them don't have people of color in leadership positions within those practice areas. Um, and not saying that they only have to, right? Because I think we can work across uh, many different practice areas. But I just think it's very interesting that there's a need for social impact. There's a need for counseling clients on DEI. um, And clients are asking for that a lot more from their PR agencies because they realize in-house that they haven't totally got it right. So they're looking at the agencies as the experts. um, But there's kind of like this double entendre there that the agencies that are providing the counseling are also lacking in that field. So that's something that I that I've noticed. But I but I would encourage and I would like to see this practice area grow. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I'm very optimistic about it. It's something that I'm excited again, you know, to, to just see. Again, that's my my bread and butter. It's something I'm very passionate about. But I would like to see that if you are going to be counseling clients on DEI, that at least you have it right yourself, right? And what it also showed me is that, is a gap. And the gap that I'm talking about particularly is that I notice in-house DEI is seen as more as a business objective, whereas on the agency side, DEI is seen more as an elective versus a business objective, right? The in-house clients, they're willing to put the money where their mouth is and say that DEI is a business objective for us. This is why I'm seeking external counsel on this matter. I want to to build and and grow specifically there. But we necessarily haven't seen the same sense of urgency in terms of business development around DEI. You know, Troy, thank you for that. Thank you for all your answers today. Incredible counsel. And I think, um, and I hope you agree with me on this. I do think a lot of agencies in the industry broadly, the intent is absolutely there. And they they want to get this right. I just think we need to hear from leaders like you 
and the ones that preceded you on this podcast series and the ones that succeed you on this podcast series who can really, really tell the, all everyone listening out there what they need to do to take that intent into real action that is going to have sustainable change. Because I said this in the piece that I wrote about the Change Makers program, and it's been said a lot of times. I certainly didn't coin this, but we want to get to a point where we don't even have to have this conversation anymore. And that's the end goal. How far down the road it is, no one knows. It probably is a bit far, but with leaders like Troy leading the way, I know we're going to get there. So Troy, once again, thank you so much for taking time from what I know is an incredibly busy schedule for joining me today. Um, I obviously also want to thank Google for their support of this program. And I also want to note that this is the third of a five podcast series. We have two that preceded it, and they're both on PRWeek.com. You can listen to both of them. I certainly encourage you to do so. We have two more coming up. So be on the lookout for those as well. But until then, I want to thank Google again for their support. Troy, for joining us today. Of course, all of you out there for listening in today. I hope you enjoyed this and got something out of it. I think you did. And until next time, this is Gideon for those out of PR Week, wishing you a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much. 